Amen, amen. Well, go ahead and have a seat. And as you do, grab your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 8 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback black one somewhere around you. That's our gift to you. You can grab that, Acts chapter 8. We want our eyes on God's word this morning. We want us to see these are not our words, but God's word, and he has uh, a message for us today. Now, as you turn there, I want to just tell you about a trip that I took one time to uh, Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, How many of you are familiar with Princeton? Anybody know it? Okay, a few people. Um, so, uh, so my student ministry pastor at the time, he came to me and he said, Hey, uh, you want to go to Princeton with me? And I said, yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, for those of you who don't know, there's like an Ivy league school there. Uh, and so it's like real fancy and there's like nice old brick everywhere. And these, the like Ivy that grows on the brick and there's these awesome coffee shops and great restaurants. And I love food. and I love coffee. I'm like, this is going to be sweet. Let's go to Princeton. So he said, oh yeah, by the way, we're going to go and we're going to talk to total strangers on the street and we're going to share the gospel with them. I went, oh, you said Tuesday. I have something Tuesday. I I forgot. I I can't do that. I remember specifically thinking in my head, I could never do that. Are you crazy? Walk up to total strangers, begin to share with them about Jesus. But I am a people pleaser. Any fellow people pleasers in the room? Yeah, so what's the one word we can never say? No. Yeah, so of course I said, yeah, I'll go. And I survived. It was fine. I really, God grew me a lot there on the streets of Princeton getting to share the gospel. But I specifically remember that instance thinking, I could never do that. I think we've all had times, we've had seasons in our life, and maybe for you it's a, it's a friend like that who will just go out and doesn't matter if they're a stranger, a friend, a neighbor, whoever, and they'll just like go share the gospel and they're bold with their faith and you watch them go, you watch them go, you watch them do that and you think, I could never do that. Maybe for you it's, it's a friend, it's a family, it's neighbors you've seen just, they've walked through a really difficult season, a really hard season and, and all the while they've held firm to their faith. Um, maybe it's friends of yours that you know who, who have just like laid down everything that's comfortable for them and they've maybe moved to like somewhere that's extremely uncomfortable and you look at it and go like, I could never do that. We're gonna see here in Acts chapter eight, God is gonna use uh, some I could never do that type circumstances in the Jesus community. God's gonna use some I could never do that type places uh, in the Jesus community and we're gonna see that even in these really hard circumstances, Even in these uncomfortable places, God is at work for the spread of his gospel and the glory of his name. Now, if you've been here kind of through our study in the book of Acts, you know that kind of our theme verse uh, for Acts is Acts 1-8. And it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem. So up to this point in the book of Acts, we've kind of had a spotlight just shown really brightly on the city of Jerusalem. And we've seen the gospel at work, the gospel on the move in the city of Jerusalem. There have been many who've surrendered their life to Jesus and God has been doing a great work in the city of Jerusalem. But what's awesome about Acts 1-8 is it doesn't stop there. Luke continues and he writes, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then in all what? Judea and Samaria. 
And so this pivot is going to happen in the book of Acts, where for the next five to six chapters, we're going to begin to see the gospel spread, not just in the city of Jerusalem, but God's going to start to move the gospel out into the regions of Judea and into the regions of Samaria. We're going to get to watch God do a great work in these Regions. And we're going to see today God uses some really hard circumstances. God uses some really uncomfortable places for the showing and telling of the gospel in those regions. And we're going to wrestle together with what if God's calling me to show and tell the gospel? And what if He's calling me to do it in like hard circumstances? What if He's calling me to, to show and tell the gospel in, in uncomfortable places, in like I could never go there type places? And we're going to wrestle with the call of God on our lives together as we walk through Acts chapter eight. But before we do, let me pray for us and let's ask God's blessing over our time together. Father, we come before you and I just thank you for each and every person here. God, I ask that um, in this time, in this place, God, you would work in a powerful way. I pray that you would get me out of the way and would your word just be so clear, God. Would the message be elevated so that the message is everything and the messenger is nothing. And God, I pray that um, through your word today, you would challenge us, that you are inviting us to show and tell the gospel. And God, would there be many in this room who answer the call and who step up and are ready to boldly proclaim and show and tell the gospel. And so God, do that work in our midst this morning through your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, so Acts chapter eight, let's jump in starting in verse one. And we see here, Acts chapter 8, verse 1 says, Saul approved of his execution. Now, remember uh, what's going on here. Let's get some context. Um, if you remember, whose execution are we talking about? Stephen. So we just saw in the chapter before this, a man named Stephen, full of the Spirit, like a faithful follower of Jesus. He goes and he boldly proclaims the gospel to this group of people, and for it, he gets killed. He's actually the first person in the early church to get martyred for their faith, to get killed for their faith. And so we see Stephen uh, murdered at the hands of, of a crowd and, and murdered at the hands of Saul. We, we uh, got to see Saul last week. He was the one that the crowd like laid their garments at his feet so that they could go and kill Stephen. Now we see that Saul is kind of the authority here. He's running the show and he approves of the execution of Stephen. And then verse one continues and it says this. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, it's really interesting there in verse 1, as you study the Greek and you pour over it and you look at the Greeks, that day, it literally means that day. Like that moment, right at that time. Something Stephen said, something Stephen did, like sparked outrage in these Jewish, uh, in this Jewish faith, and they begin to greatly persecute the church. There's this like great persecution that breaks out against followers of Jesus in that place. And then in response to this, what happens? They scatter. They're out of there. Like, man, we're getting persecuted. We're going to leave. And they go to the surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, what's really interesting is what happens along the way as they scatter. Look at Acts 8, verse 4. Now, those who scattered went about what? Preaching the word. 
Those who scatter, those who leave Jerusalem, they go. And as they leave Jerusalem, as they leave the persecution, they go and they begin to preach the word in Judea and Samaria. Now, it's really interesting. Remember Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. God is up to something here. God is up to something here as, as his followers are scattered into Judea and Samaria and they begin to preach the gospel. God is at work. And then verse one ends with, I think, some phenomenal words for us today. Acts chapter eight, verse one, the last three words, except, so all these people scatter into these regions of Judea and Samaria, except the who? Except the apostles. And this is a massive deal. We cannot miss this. The author of the book of Acts, his name is Luke, what he does is he shines the spotlight not on the apostles, but on the people who scatter and carry the gospel outside of the walls of Jerusalem. And this is just like our God, because who does he use to be the first people to carry the gospel outside of the walls of Jerusalem? Ordinary followers of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but if I'm God, I'm going like, hey, Give me the most talented people you got. Give me the best communicators you have. Give me the best leaders you have. Give me the men and women who can spearhead a movement and then let's unleash them into Judea and Samaria. But who does God use? Ordinary followers of Christ. And they're the very first ones to carry the gospel outside of the walls of Jerusalem. This is just like our God. He's not looking for the most gifted. Praise God, right? He's not looking for the most talented. He's not, he calls ordinary followers of Jesus to carry the gospel. You see, today God is inviting me to show and tell the gospel. Just like he did back then, God invites me to show and tell the gospel. Now, I think what can often happen when we hear this, and many of us in this room know this, um, but, but the second we hear this, and, and I know this is true for me, I can start to make excuses. I can start to go like, yeah, but I'm just not, like, I'm not at their level. You know, like, man, this, this person, they're like a real follower of Jesus. I'm trying to catch up to them. Like, I, I just couldn't do that. Maybe some of you think, like, I'm just not bold enough. I, I just couldn't like go out. I'm not gifted in that way. Maybe I'm gifted in some other ways, but I'm not gifted to go and share the gospel. Maybe you're sitting here thinking like, I could never do that. And I think today God looks back at us and he asks a couple questions. He says, hey, do you have breath in your lungs? Mm-hmm. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Mm-hmm. Do, you have your Holy, do you have my Holy Spirit living inside of you? Mm-hmm then you have everything you need to show and tell the gospel. Yeah, but God, but God, I'm not gifted in that way. I know you're not gifted in that way, but I gave you my Holy Spirit, and now you have everything you need to go and show and tell the gospel. Yeah, but God, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bold enough. Like, I just don't have the boldness of others. Yeah, but you have my Spirit, and my Spirit will give you boldness to go and show and tell the gospel. Yeah, but, but God, I don't, I don't know what to say. Do you have the word of God? Yep. Do you have the spirit of God? Yep. You have everything you need to show and tell the gospel. 
Man, enough with making excuses and coming up with reasons. And I say this to myself. For too long, I've just been like, God, I can't. God, I can't. God, I can't. And today's the day that many of us in this room need to say, no, God, I will. And not because I'm strong, but because I have the Spirit of God living inside of me. And he is calling me to show and tell the gospel. He will give me what I need to see the gospel spread. I love how J.D. Greer says it. He says, the church grows not by the preaching of a few anointed apostles, but when every believer is filled with the Spirit and testifies to the gospel in the streets. The church will grow. The church will thrive when not just the gifted are preaching and and teaching, but when every follower of Jesus, when you, when I, go, hey, the Holy Spirit lives in me. I have the Spirit of God. I have the Word of God. I can go and show and tell the gospel. And when each of us steps into the call of God on our life, we, I truly believe, can see transformation happen. Like we can see families transformed. We can see workplaces transformed. We can see communities transformed. We can see neighborhoods transformed. But it won't happen through just the preaching of a few. It will happen when each of us steps up and says, hey, God has given me his spirit. He's given me his word. I will accept the call to go and show and tell the gospel. God invites me to show and tell the gospel. Will we accept his call? Now, what happens if we accept his call and we step up and we say, yeah, God, I'll go. I'll go. I I will show and tell the gospel with my life. But what happens when we do that and life, instead of getting easier, gets what? Harder. What happens when, yeah, like, God, I'll go. I'll show and tell the gospel. But life gets more uncomfortable, not more comfortable. What happens when we go and show and tell the gospel and, and persecution happens? Like I'm, I'm experiencing physical pain because of my willingness to go and show and tell the gospel. Would I, would you be willing to still stand up for the truth and show and tell the gospel of Jesus? And that's what we're gonna see here as Acts chapter eight continues. Acts chapter eight, verse two. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And so we see here, Stephen is killed, and these devout men come and they, they bury him. There's great sadness, there's great uh, sorrow over the loss of Stephen, but there's not much time for sadness and sorrow because, again, we saw in verse 1, a great persecution breaks out that day. Stephen dies, boom, persecution just begins to flood the city of Jerusalem. And we see here in verse 3, it says, Saul was, what's that word? Ravaging the church. Now, we've got to understand something about this. This is a, a strong word. Don't just think like, Saul's making the church uncomfortable. The word here literally means to destroy. Saul's singular passion in life right now is to go, I'm going to single-handedly take out the Jesus community. His goal in life is to go like, I would love it if there's no single Jesus follower left. He's seeking to destroy. The word here literally means a brutal and sadistic cruelty. We're talking serious persecution. The image that would have come to mind for the original readers is, is, is one like this. A lion 
on the hunt for its prey. And just like a lion, Saul is coming after the church. He's coming after these Jesus followers. And just like a lion does with its prey, Saul begins to drag Jesus followers out of their homes through the streets and throw them into prison. And I think it's easy for us to just kind of read this, and especially here in our semi-air-conditioned room, um, in our comfortable chairs. It's easy for us to read this and be like, oh man, that stinks, and then just keep going. Let's try to get there a little bit. So imagine you just had a long day at work. You're on your way home, walking home, and you think like, ah, I should go stop by like mom and dad's house. Let's go see how they're doing. And so you like go up to the door, you open the door, and immediately as you open the door, you can tell like something's, something's not right. And you begin to hear some, some shouts. You begin to hear some screams. You hear some, um, some pots breaking on the floor. And then there in the hallway appears Saul with mom in one hand, dad in the other, holding them by the back of their necks. And he doesn't just stop there. He drags them through the hall of the house. And you go, like, I, I got to try to stop it. And you go try to stop Saul, and he just, boom, shoves you out of the way. Because remember, his single passion in life is to destroy the Jesus community. This man's enraged. And so he just, boom, tosses you out of the way, drags parents through the hallway, down the outside steps, and then through the city streets, dragging mom and dad through the streets. And as you're trying to catch up to them and figure out how can I save them, you begin to see others from the Jesus community next, hold, drug out of the house through the streets and thrown into prison. This is not comfortable Christianity. Now, I think it's important for us to get there in our minds and then think about, like, if we were the people who scattered, right? So we go to Judea, we go to Samaria. Maybe you're more spiritual than I am, but guess what I'm not doing when I go to these cities? I'm done talking about Jesus. Like, do you see what just happened to those people? Drug out of their homes, through the streets, thrown into prison. Like, I'm just going to kind of lay low for a little bit. I'll find a job provide for my family, um, maybe try to look for something else to talk about other than Jesus. But like, I'm probably done talking about Jesus for a little bit. Not these Jesus followers. The very thing that caused persecution in their life, the very thing that caused pain, the very thing that caused sorrow, the showing and telling of the gospel of Jesus, they say, we can't help but talk about it. And yeah, you can physically hurt us, you can do these, but like, we're just gonna keep talking. We're going to keep sharing because we've got to tell you about Jesus. Jesus had so gripped their hearts that they just could not help but talk about it. We see God used hard circumstances for the showing and telling of the gospel. And just like he did 2,000 years ago, he's inviting us to do the same today. See, God is inviting me to show and tell the gospel even through hard circumstances. For this Jesus community here, this probably wasn't super fun. This probably wasn't very easy to walk through. And yet in the midst of it, they stay committed to going like, God has called us to show and tell the gospel. We've got to be bold no matter where we go. Judea, Samaria, we're going to be committed to the showing and telling 
of the gospel. And it's a beautiful picture here in Acts chapter 8 of the fact that God doesn't waste hard circumstances. He didn't back then, and he doesn't today. I want to tell you about a few stories. Um, Some of these people I know personally, some I've just read of their stories, but some examples of God using some really hard circumstances for the showing and telling and spreading of the gospel of Jesus. Let me tell you about a a family in our small group who a couple years ago uh, had a baby 38 weeks pregnant and lost the baby. Really hard circumstance. Really painful circumstance for them. There were seasons of pain. There were seasons of crying out like, where are you? It would have been really easy, and I think we all would have understood if they just like kind of sat out for a little bit and went like, ah, we just, but they actually said, no, we're going to use this for the showing and telling of the gospel. And there's people today whose souls have been saved for eternity because in the midst of their pain, they said, we will show and tell the gospel even in hard circumstances. God didn't waste their suffering. I could tell you about family friends of my wife's whose a couple years ago daughter was shot and killed in her home. Insanely painful circumstance for this family. Not one they would have ever chosen. Were there seasons of doubt in their walk with the Lord? Absolutely. Were there seasons of, of absolute intense pain? Yeah. But this family, through really, really hard circumstances, decided God has called us even in this, yes, even in this, to show and tell the gospel. And there are people today walking around whose souls have been saved for eternity because this family boldly stepped up to show and tell the gospel, even in hard circumstances. I could tell you about a a guy that I read about who grew up as a Muslim got to college, and a friend of his was bold enough to begin to share the gospel with him, and he introduced him to Jesus, and, and this guy began to wrestle with, like, which is true, this whole, like, Muslim Allah thing, or is it, is it Jesus? And he finally, in years of wrestling and seeking for the truth, got to the point where he said, like, Jesus is the true God. But he began to wrestle with, like, the second I surrender to Jesus as Lord is the second my family is lost forever, and I'm excommunicated from them. But this guy decided Jesus is better. Surrendered his life to Jesus. Was that hard? Yeah. But God used that hard circumstances for the showing and telling of the gospel. And there have been many who've surrendered their life to Jesus because of this man's boldness to choose Jesus over what's easy. And on and on and on we could go of people who've stepped into hard circumstances and seen that through the showing and telling of the gospel, God doesn't waste our hard circumstances. God doesn't waste our suffering. God doesn't waste our pain. What the enemy meant for evil, we see God use it for good. Here in Acts, what the enemy meant for like the destroying of the church and saying like, man, this is done. Let's just start getting at, let's start killing Christians off. God actually uses it for the spread of the gospel of Jesus. How awesome is our God? To bring victory 
out of what was meant for defeat. And I don't know what you're walking through this morning. I don't know what hard circumstance you're facing this morning, but I do know that our God promises to not waste your hard circumstance, that our God promises to not waste our suffering when we commit to saying even in the hard times, even in the difficult seasons, even in the painful times, we will show and tell the gospel. God won't waste it. He can use whatever we're going through if we accept his invitation to show and tell the gospel, even in hard circumstances. Now, I think for many of us, we realize um, we don't have control over our circumstances. We realize that, yeah, life can be hard sometimes. Things are going to happen that are outside of our control, but, but there are some things that we can control. Like, I can control where I live. I can control, like, kind of being comfortable. Even if some things in life happen that are uncomfortable, there's some things that I can control. But what if God calls you even to lay down what's comfortable for the showing and telling of the gospel? We're going to see here in Acts chapter 8, as the story continues, God does that very thing. Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. Let's read that together. So, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so we see that the focus of this story begin to shift just from like the general to the more specific what we saw is just like general followers of Jesus scattered throughout these regions. We now see a specific example of what happened in this guy named Philip. And so this is actually the second time that we're introduced to Philip. Philip was one of the seven chosen in Acts chapter 6 to oversee the, the widows and the care of the widows. And now Philip shows up again here in Acts chapter 8. And Philip is one of those who's scattered to the surrounding regions. And as he does, he preaches Jesus, he proclaims Christ, and he does these awesome like signs and miracles. And these like demon-possessed people are freed. And there's these people who couldn't walk, and now they can walk. And there's people like, I mean, just awesome things are happening. People surrendering their lives to Jesus. But I think the most amazing part of this story is not necessarily what Philip does, but where he does it at. It's not what Philip does, but it's um, where he is when these things happen. See, Philip, as a good Jewish boy growing up, would have been taught uh, that you don't interact with, you don't have any association with, don't even think about, if you can help it, don't, like Samaritans, uh-uh. Don't interact with them. Don't look at them. Don't talk to them. I mean, there was like an intense hatred between this group of Jewish people and a group of Samaritans. And we're talking hatred beyond just like, you know, we use that word flippantly today. Like, I'm a Colts fan and I hate Patriots fans. Um, this is not that kind of hate. This is deep-seated, deep-rooted hate for a whole nother group of people. There's an old Jewish proverb that 
Jewish boys were taught as, as they were growing up, it says this, a piece of bread given by a Samaritan is more unclean than a pig's flesh. What? Let me, I'm going to just read that again. That was like shocking to my core when I first read that. Think about this. A piece of bread given by a Samaritan is more unclean than a pig's flesh. So not to get too uh, weird here, but think about, like, so, Jess, come here real quick. You always get chosen for the uh, examples on Sunday. Come on up. All right. So here's my Samaritan brother, okay? Not really a brother. I'm supposed to hate him. So he comes up to me. He's got a piece of bread. He gives me the bread. I toss it at his feet. I run over to a pig, and I lick the pig instead and say, that was better than what you just gave me. <laughs> this is crazy hatred. We got to understand the hate between these two groups of people. I think so often we just read past them and go like, yeah, they didn't like each other. This is insane hatred for one another. Thank you. You can go ahead and have a seat. The Samaritans were known, according to the historian Josephus, they were known to have snuck into the Jewish temple and placed human bones within the temple so as to make the Jewish people unclean in their offerings in the temple. Both groups were said to have bribed Roman soldiers to like harass and hurt the other group. So like imagine that. You go up to a Roman soldier and be like, hey man, come here. Yeah, what do you want? Hey, see that sword on your hip? Can you just go over there? I'm not saying you got to run it through, but just give them like a little, oh, like a little poke. I'll give you like 100 bucks. Okay. Boom. You know, like they're just harassing each other, tormenting each other. The hatred between these two groups is intense and real and deep. And so the original readers, as they're reading through this story, they would have been like, yeah, Philip goes. He goes down to a city. That's so cool. And he goes to, what? He goes to Samaria? No. No. Anywhere but there. Like they would have been shocked to their core to see a Jewish man went to the region of Samaria. But God called Philip to go. And Philip is willing to scatter to an uncomfortable region, into an uncomfortable city, and he lives the showing and telling of the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. And just like he did with Philip, God is inviting me, God is inviting us to show and tell the gospel even in uncomfortable places. God invites me to show and tell the gospel in uncomfortable places. Think about Philip and, and these other believers who leave Jerusalem. They're leaving their comfort zone. They leave everything they know they leave their homes, they leave their families, they leave their belongings, they leave their jobs, they leave everything that's comfortable, and they go to Judea, they go to Samaria, and they faithfully show and tell the gospel. I would challenge us this morning that God does his best work in some of the most uncomfortable places. God is constantly calling his people out of what's comfortable for the purpose of following him. And I would even go so far as to say that Christianity in and of itself is inherently uncomfortable. Think about some of like the things Jesus said. Jesus at one point in the New Testament says, hey, uh, if you're going to follow me, I want you to deny yourself. Comfortable or uncomfortable? 
uncomfortable. I don't want to deny myself. But it gets better. He says, hey, I want you to deny yourself. Then I want you to take up your cross. Comfortable or uncomfortable? Uncomfortable. I don't want to take up a cross. That sounds like it hurts. God at one point, or Jesus at one point says, I want you to be willing to give up everything you own and come follow me. That's uncomfortable. Jesus at one point says, hey, follow me, and I promise you you're going to be persecuted and hated by the world. Uncomfortable. Christianity in and of itself is a call not to comfort, but actually sometimes getting uncomfortable for Jesus. And I don't know about you, but this is a challenge for me because I love to be comfortable. Like naturally, I don't want to just go do uncomfortable things. I like being comfortable. I think we all can relate to this to some degree or another. And, and the way I see it play itself out a lot, I think, in, in Christian communities is, is sometimes the way we pray. And I, I say this, my hand's the first one to go up because I've prayed this prayer a lot. But how many of you have prayed something like this? God, man, as we go to this place, I just pray that you would keep us safe, God, safe. And, and then as we get there, God, just a hedge of protection around your people and keep us safe and let nothing bad or nothing uncomfortable or nothing even remotely uncomfortable happen to us while we're there. And then on our way back, keep us safe, God, protect us and let us come home and be safe. Amen. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with safety in and of itself, but when comfort and safety become our highest priority. We miss out on so much of what God has for us. And so let's talk about two things here. That when comfort becomes our highest priority, we miss out on. The first one, when comfort becomes my highest priority, I miss out on awe. When comfort becomes my highest priority, I miss out on seeing God do incredible and amazing things for his glory and the spread of his gospel. And think about this just in, in, in scripture. We, we look at these pages and we see these amazing stories of what God has done. And oftentimes it was a willingness for these people to get uncomfortable that led to God doing like this miraculous work. So let's think about just a couple quick examples. Um, one I think uh, maybe we're all familiar with is Moses. Um, Moses was a guy who was called out of what was comfortable to go stand before, at that time, the most powerful man in all of the globe, Pharaoh, the ruler of the people of Egypt. And at this time, the Israelite people were enslaved to this nation, Egypt. And so Moses is sent to go stand before the most powerful man in the world and tell him, hey, you need to let these Israelites go. We gotta remember, Pharaoh had the power at the snap of his fingers to have Moses executed. That's uncomfortable. But Moses keeps going back. He goes back, he goes back, and finally, Pharaoh says, okay, Israelites, you can go. And they go, and they start running away from Egypt. And then Pharaoh changes his mind. He says, actually, I want him back. Let's go run after him. And the Israelites begin to see him, and, and panic sets in because guess what they come up against? Anybody remember? The Red Sea, baby. Running away, running away, and then boom. Uh-oh. We're in trouble. And then God shows up. And he does this awesome thing where literally the, like, imagine this. Again, I think so often we just get used to this and we're like, 
Oh, Red Sea parting. What else? Like, are you kidding me? God just took a huge, massive body of water and went, whoom, part the Red Sea. Israelites walk through. Imagine just towers of water on either side of you as you're walking through going like, this is unbelievable. This is crazy. Like, God, thank you for your provision. Like, this is awesome. Are you guys seeing what God's doing? How cool is this? And then we get to the other side, and then the Egyptians are coming, and water crashes in over them. God provides this amazing deliverance for his people. But it all started with Moses' willingness to get uncomfortable for the Lord. What about a story uh, of Joshua? And I love just the book of Joshua. Like Joshua's a man's man, right? And he's a warrior and they fight these great battles. And, uh, but there's this one that God kind of comes up with a weird battle plan. Um, there's a story about uh, uh, the people of Israel marching around a city. Anybody know what the city is? Jericho, baby. And so we read about this and God comes to Joshua and he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. Six days each day, march around the city once. Seventh day, seven times, march around the city, and here's what's going to happen. Wall, they're going to crumble. Boom, you're going to run in, and you're going to have this awesome victory. Think about Joshua. Like, when Joshua first hears this, what do you think he's thinking? Hey, God, uh, I come again? Like, I don't, did you hear yourself? You want us to march around the city. The seventh day, the walls are just going to cry and you're just going to, yeah, 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 that's exactly what I'm going to do. And then sure enough, Joshua decides to get a little uncomfortable and go, huh, let's try it. We're going to march, we're going to march, we're going to march. Seventh day, march around the city seven times, and then sure enough, boom, walls fall, boom. Israel has an incredible victory from the Lord. And the people of Israel are looking around like, this was awesome. Did you see what God did? But it all started with a guy named Joshua and his willingness to get a little uncomfortable. What about David? The classic story of David and Goliath. Even if you didn't grow up in church, maybe you've heard about, just like in sports, right? The David and Goliath matchup. We see David, just little like puny shepherd boy with just like a little slingshot and you know it comes up with a rock and he's standing up against this eight to nine foot giant who his whole life has been training for battle he's this great warrior undefeated in all his battles and David this puny little kid comes up to him and says hey I'm taking you down with what oh here this little slingshot and a rock Imagine how uncomfortable that must have been for David like I really hope this works man like I said God has this but does he really this is uncomfortable, man, but we look at these stories throughout the word of God and their stories. We're looking and go like, man, I would give anything to see God work like this, but it all started with people who were willing to be uncomfortable. God is calling us out of comfort. God is calling us to be a people who are uncomfortable. And I would ask this, when is the last time you saw God do something that was clearly like a, wow, like that was a God thing. And could it be that the lack of awe in my life, the lack of awe in your life, is because of comfort being our highest priority? We just miss out on those like, man, that was, like only God could have done that. Comfort keeps us from seeing that. We gotta be a people who are willing to get uncomfortable for the showing and telling of the gospel. And when we do, we'll see God do awesome things. That's number one. Second thing, when comfort becomes my highest priority, I miss out on all, and then I miss out on relationship. 
I miss out on awe and I miss out on this like deep, close nearness to God. When I live with comfort as my highest priority and I say, I'll do anything for you, Lord, as long as it's comfortable. God, I'll do anything for you as long as it's just kind of safe. We miss out on just a nearness and a closeness with God. I think about people in my own life that I know. A guy in my small group who's started some Bible studies at his job. And, and um, he is like, kind of like a nine to five uh, guy at this facility. And um, they have some different shift workers. And so he started these Bible studies. And, and he will, from time to time, um, he'll come home. He'll love his wife. He'll take care of his kids. He'll put his kids to bed. And then he turns around and he goes back to work. And he goes back to work for the sole purpose of being a part of these Bible studies with people who are far from God so we can just like love on these guys and tell them about Jesus. And he's a guy that I look at and go like, I would love to have the closeness and nearness to Jesus like he does. Like I, I want a relationship with God like he has. But he's willing to get uncomfortable. Like what's... A, it would be a lot more comfortable to just, when you got home, hang out with your wife, put your kids to bed, and then just like sit and watch Netflix and hang out. That's so much more comfortable. But he's willing to get uncomfortable to love these guys. I could tell you about other friends of mine who, uh, they, every time I'm with them, I leave and I tell my wife, like, man, I wish I had just like a relationship with Jesus like these guys have. They just like, there's just like this joy that comes out of them when they talk about Jesus. And these are guys who go and they travel all over the world and they share the gospel in really dangerous places and they equip other believers on how to share and disciple uh, other followers of Jesus. And, 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 and then when they're here stateside, they just walk around neighborhoods and just like walk up to strangers and go like, hey, we're just walking around like praying for people. How can we pray for you? And, and let's tell you about Jesus. I'm gonna be honest, that's really uncomfortable for me. But these guys are willing to get uncomfortable for the showing and telling of the gospel. And I envy their closeness with Jesus. So often in our lives, because comfort becomes this thing that we just feel like, I've got to hold on to it. I've got to be comfortable. I've got to be safe. We miss out on seeing God do awesome things. And then we miss out on just a nearness and closeness in our walk with Jesus. And today, God is calling us. He's calling his people out of comfort into uncomfortable places for the showing and telling of the gospel. And I think oftentimes what happens when we hear this is we jump to extremes and we think, okay, then that means I just gotta sell everything and move to the slums of India or I gotta sell all and, and just go hang out with gangs in Chicago. Or, and like God may call you to do that. I think sometimes too often we just write that off like, eh, God, God could call you to do that. But he also just could be calling you across the street out of the comfort of your own home into like maybe an uncomfortable place of your neighbor's home. Like the weird ones that you just go like, I'm not going there. God says like, get a little uncomfortable for the showing and telling of the gospel. Maybe it's getting out of your office. Maybe it's getting out of your classroom. Maybe it's getting out of your circle of friends and getting into some places that might just be a little bit uncomfortable. But God is calling you to those places for the showing and telling of the gospel. God is inviting us to show and tell the gospel in hard circumstances, and he's inviting us to show and tell the gospel in uncomfortable places. Now, I think we hear this, and, and what can often happen is we think like, 
okay, you just said God is calling me to be uncomfortable. God is calling me to pain and suffering. He's calling me to hard circumstances. Like, what a terrible salesman. Like, are you kidding me? I'm not signing up for this. Why would I do that? Why would I willingly choose to go live that kind of life? I love how Acts chapter 8, verse 8 answers this question for us. Why would we do this? Why would we live this way? Acts chapter 8, verse 8. Remember, Philip just gets done sharing the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, doing all these awesome signs and wonders among these people. And then verse 8 says this. So there was what? Much joy. So there was much joy in that city. There's people being delivered from physical affliction. There's demonic control. There's people being freed from their sin and forgiven for the first time in their life. And joy begins to flood the city. Why live this kind of life? Why get uncomfortable? Why in hard circumstances show and tell the gospel? God is inviting me to show and tell the gospel for the spreading of joy. Why live this kind of life? Because it's where true joy is found. And think about the implications of this short verse here in Acts chapter 8. You have this city in Samaria, and apart from the gospel, uh, this verse would imply that maybe there were some moments of happiness in the city, but there wasn't this like true, deep-seated, deep-rooted joy. And you get the sense these people might even be searching for like, where can I find this joy? And, and maybe they look to relationships and it's like, yeah, moments of happiness, but, but not this joy. Uh, maybe they look to like jobs and success and, and thriving in that. And yeah, moments of happiness here and there, but there's not this joy. And maybe we begin to look at like stuff and, and the comforts of this world and yeah, happiness here and there, but there's not this joy. And then boom, gospel comes, floods the city, and with the gospel comes joy. We have many in our lives, neighbors, friends, families, coworkers, who are just like the people of this city in Samaria. They're looking for joy. And yeah, moments of happiness here and there, but we have the one thing here that can bring true and lasting and deep heartfelt joy. The gospel and joy are inextricably bound together. Where you find true joy, you will always find the gospel. And where you find the gospel going forth, there will always be joy. So why go through these hard things? Why go through suffering? Why get uncomfortable? Joy. God's offer for us. God's inviting us to true joy as he invites me to show and tell the gospel everywhere and always. There's many of us sitting in this room who may be going through some really hard circumstances. And I don't pretend for a second to understand the pain that you're walking through. I don't know what it's like. But I do know that even in the midst of the hard circumstances, God is offering one to walk with you, to be near you. But then two, he's calling you. He's inviting you to show and tell the gospel even in hard circumstances. 
There's some of you in this room who like, you have a place that's coming to your mind. It may be just the neighbor across the street. It may be the, the person who works next to you in the office. It may be a family member. It may be going to the inner city. It may be halfway around the world, but you're sitting here going like, God, I, you're calling me. I, I know it. I need to get uncomfortable. God is calling us to show and tell the gospel in hard circumstances and in uncomfortable places for the spreading of joy. And so as we close this morning, I wanna pray for us and I wanna pray that God would give us the boldness to answer the call, to go and, and live in some hard circumstances, to go to some uncomfortable places so that we can see true joy. God has allowed us to have our eyes open to the joy of the gospel. Let it be far from us as a church to keep that to ourselves. Let's go before the Lord and let's ask him to make us a people who show and tell the gospel everywhere and always. Let's pray together. Father, I come before you now and God, I ask that you would make us a people who are bold for you in our showing and telling of the gospel. Just like we saw here in the book of Acts as your church is scattered and um, they go to these uncomfortable places. God, you take them to um, hard, you take them through hard circumstances, and yet, God, through it all, you're at work. God, through it all, your, your gospel is going forth, and joy is flooding cities, it's flooding regions, it's flooding communities. And so, God, I pray for the boldness for myself in hard circumstances, in uncomfortable places. God, help me be bold to show and tell the gospel. God, help us be a church. Let Harvest be a church full of people, just quote unquote, ordinary followers of Jesus who no matter what we walk through, God, we're just committed to show and tell the gospel because it's the only message that brings true joy. God, make us that kind of people. God, make us that kind of church. By your spirit, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.